morning. The reading today is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Uh, I'll be reading from verses 1 through 9. And uh, the passage is printed in the bulletin on page 4. Feel free to follow along. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, for, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions he had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the east, to the hills east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards Negev. Well, we are continuing in a series that we started last week on the life of Abraham, uh, tracing his story of faith, his relationship with God in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. And uh, we started that last week, and this will be the second uh, sermon in that series. But before I dive in, I actually wanted to start off by apologizing and apologizing for a joke that I made last week uh, in my sermon uh, directed towards people from Alabama. And uh, really, I I had a chance to speak to some people afterwards, um, and I know of at least one person that did take offense, was hurt by the comment, other people that found it funny and didn't think of much of it, Uh, But even if there were no people offended or hurt at all, uh, I I feel the need to uh, say sorry and to apologize for my uh, poor judgment uh, and lack of love and respect. Um, And maybe even deeper than that, uh, sort of the giving in to the fear of wanting to entertain to slide in different comments, uh, to do whatever it takes, uh, as it were, uh, just to keep people attentive. Um, And so I appreciate your grace, uh, your kindness in that. Um, And my greatest concern, really, and fear uh, would have been if you, for example, did uh, take offense to it 
and uh, felt that you weren't welcomed in the church and weren't uh, someone that was fully embraced in the community. Um, that, or if you were sitting there not able to hear the message of the good news of grace because it was such a distraction, that would be my greatest concern, uh, my greatest sorrow, if that were the case for you. I hope not, but I would be more than happy to talk further with any of you about this. Um, would love to as we grow in wisdom and judgment together. Um, but let me say a word of prayer before we start today's sermon. God, we thank you for uh, your kindness to us in Jesus and these stories about Jesus that's uh, the story of uh, just the surprising way in which you woo sinners to yourself. We thank you for being our God. We thank you for being present. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. We pray that we would hear from you. Every person, we come from a variety of backgrounds, God. You know what we need. Uh, please touch on what we need from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A promise, a promise can change your life, right? I remember standing across from Paula at the altar, as it were, um, as we exchanged our vows. And even though so much of that wedding ceremony was a blur, uh, not her fault, not anyone's fault, it just is the way it was, um, I do remember hearing those great and grand promises that were made. I will be this for you, and I will do this for you. And I do promise. And it affects me. And I remember in that moment saying, wow, this is a big deal. A promise is a big deal, and it can change your life, especially when a person obligates themselves to you and tell you that they will come through for you. Right? The Christian faith is centered on this idea of promise. It's actually what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion and philosophical system that's out there. And that is that what defines your relationship with God is not the promises that you make to Him. This is what I'll do for you. This is what I promise I will keep. This is what, how I'll perform in life. It's not the promises you make to him and your ability to keep those promises that you make, but rather what defines your relationship with God is the promises that God makes and keeps to you. Well, today's passage touches on this idea of promise. It's one of the biggest, grandest, clearest places that we see this vision of a God who makes promises to people who have no business receiving such a generous and kind and gracious promise from God. And we're simply going to look at this in two parts. First, what God promises, and secondly, how we respond to that promise. What God promises... God comes to Abram. We looked at this last week. He was the most unlikely candidate for a person to be selected out of the multitudes of the people on the earth for God to come near and say, You, I'm going to draw near to you. 
Abram, who at the time was a standard idol worshiper from Mesopotamia, about 2000 B.C., nothing in his background or nothing in his personal resume that would have commended him to God, that would have impressed God necessarily. It's a story of God's grace. But here we have in the first verse of this passage, God coming near to Abram and promising him nothing less than the rich fulfillment of every one of our deepest desires, our most true human longings. The Bible just simply calls it salvation, but what we have it in front of us as is a five-part promise. And we just want to look briefly at the different elements of this promise that we find in verses 1 through 3. And they are favor, significance, community, place, and mission. Let's take each of those one by one. God promises favor. Favor to Abram. Verse 2, I will, what? Bless you. I will bless you in this way and in that way and in this way and that way. You just see this again and again in these few verses. God pouring out poetry of blessings. Five times in two short verses, God uses the word bless in various forms. He is saying that he's going to shower goodness, kindness, favor upon the life of Abram, even though you're a sinner, even though you are self-centered to your core, even though you refuse to acknowledge me or thank me, even though you take my ongoing blessings for granted and run with them and then give yourself credit for them, don't we all do that? I will still be kind to you. You deserve the curse of God, and yet I will bless you, I will forgive you, I will love you, I will know you. What God is offering is not just a handout, but a hand, a relationship with a real God, with Himself. All the prophets in Isaiah and different places and the New Testament writers, when they reflect upon the kind of favor and relationship that Abram received from God, they say that God called Abraham my friend. He was called a friend of God. You just look at the language that God uses. I will. I will, I will, I will. All these blessings are granted, are grounded in I, in me. What I will do, who I am, my character. Is this, friends, what you hear from the God that you know or are coming to know? Not primarily, you shall, you shall not, you will. You will not, but a sweet word of promising grace. I will, says God. I will do this for you. I will bless you in this way. I will be kind to you. And everything that happens to you, I'm going to start taking personally. This is how near I'm going to be to you. We see this in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse 
I'll take everything that happens to you from other people like it happens to me. I will put myself in your shoes. In fact, I'll do that so completely and thoroughly that one day, literally, I will walk in your shoes. Taking on your flesh. Becoming a human being. Blessing you through my Son who will live for you and die for you. You, a God of favor. Friends, do you know this God? And if you have embraced Abraham's ultimate offspring, Jesus, do you know that God can't not bless you and do good to you? That God can't do anything but kindness to you as his Children, Yes, even in the pains and the trials and the things that might just look like or feel like unkindness. Because what kind of God would do this to me or put me through this? That even in those moments, you have this word of promise that tells you, you may not get what's going on, but it is blessing in your life because God can't break his promise. Number one, favor. Number two, significance. Significance. A longing in all of our hearts to be great. God promises Abram, I will make your name great. You'll be significant in my sight. Just the chapter earlier in Genesis, Genesis 11, we hear in the Tower of Babel story where the people of the land gather together and conspire to make themselves into quasi-gods, to live independent of God. And one of the things that they say is one of the chief impulses of all of our hearts, let's make a name for ourselves. And God says, no, no, you don't need to do that for yourselves at the expense of your relationship with God, right? Because our impulse is to say, no praise to God's name, all praise to my name, or at the expense of other people. I don't want you to get credit for the work that you did. I don't want you to get any relationship or any blessing in life. I want it all for me. No. Here is a God that says, friends, you were made for glory. You were made to be prized in the eyes of God. In fact, he stamped himself, his identity, his name upon us as his created people. It's called the image of God in the Bible. And that's why we have this innate sense of dignity and this sense of worth, and this sense of exaltedness before each other. It's terribly broken and terribly marred. But it's also why we have this deep longing and desire for some kind of expression of significance. Look, that desire in itself is not bad. What's bad is the means by which we go about it. Or the ways in which it's the only thing that we desire in life. Or the way in which we substitute God with those desires for greatness in the workplace or greatness among my my, uh, neighbors or my roommates. Or the ways in which I want to be propped up over against other people. Or I want all needs and all conversations to revolve around me. 
It's not the longing itself that's a problem. It's how we go about it and where we get it from. God meant it to be gotten from him. And so he says to Abram, I'll give it to you. I mean, friends, how much of our lust for recognition and the daily things that you do in life or, or how much of our insecurities about being just forgettable or how much of our drivenness to be a somebody and our sheer terror of being a nobody would be quieted if we knew that God was committed to restoring our significance in His sight. I'll make your name great. Favor, significance, number three, community. Community. Not just individual glory, but communal glory that God offers. God promises Abram a family. And this is an astonishing thing for God to do. Abram, 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, just a few years younger. And we're told in the last chapter, we saw this last week, she is not only childless, but barren. And so what is God going to have to do to come through on this promise? Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. A great nation. God would have to bring him an offspring. We see that word in verse 7. Descendants who would proceed from his body eventually who would become the nation of Israel. But of course, more than just biological family, both in that time, but also for us today, what God is talking about is not just biological family or family ancestry, but what you might call spiritual family, community, among those who would share the faith of Abraham, the community of the church, which the New Testament calls the new Israel, the spiritual offspring of Abraham. Friends, God's whole intention from the beginning was not just to save for himself a collection of individuals, but to save for himself a people. A people. Which is why us coming together in this sort of setting, to get our togetherness on Sunday mornings, or our togetherness at your neighborhood groups on Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights, or your togetherness at IHOP, sharing a meal, is a fulfillment of God's ultimate desires for you in bringing you into relationship with Himself. Do you see it that way? And maybe even more than that, do you understand that the communities that we share and the intimacy and relationship that we share today is no less miraculous than what it took for Abraham to have his community, his family, his descendants flow from him, God needing to miraculously create, provide a descendant, a son, and sons of his sons, and on and on and on. Friends, spiritual community, Christian community, is always miraculous community. Not natural community. It's not just us getting together just to hang out. 
There is an element of that that is there. Don't get me wrong. As if suddenly Christian community is this weird, awkward thing where everyone puts on this spiritual act and no one's really just friends. Friendship is one of the most deeply spiritual things that you can share with one another. It's of God. True friendship. But when you look around in the room, maybe you can do it later on or do it right now if you want to, do you recognize that we have no business being together as a community except for the grace of God working in our lives? There's no way that sinners, selfish people can hang together, work together, build into each other's lives apart from the miracle of grace. Do you see that? That even this is a gift of the promise of God. How might that change the way that you waddle your way in here on Sundays or experience fellowship or friendship with people throughout the week? Community. Fourthly, place. Place. Look, God didn't intend for all of these blessings, favor and significance and community to be experienced in a vacuum. God actually says, let me give you a land. Dirt underneath your feet. Houses in which to live. Fruit to eat. Streets to pave. Real concrete life where you'll experience my blessings in a tangible way. Verse 1, go to the land, I will show you. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. And this is the story of Israel pursuing the acquisition of this land inheritance, this land of Canaan. It's meant to give us this concrete sense of Home. The sense of rootedness. The sense of place. When I first moved to Washington, D.C., and as a new resident, as some of you may be, years ago, you kind of sit there thinking, what, what is it finally that's going to make this place feel like home? Right? When am I going to stop looking back at the place where I used to live? Stop comparing it to New York City? Stop comparing it to wherever you're from? And you live where you're at. What's it going to take? And I just remember distinctly, I took a trip out of town, took the train, came back in. And I don't know if you've experienced this. And then one day, finally, one day, I said, I'm going home. And when I got to my apartment, I looked around and I realized the main thing that finally closed the deal for me was that I looked around and all my stuff was right there. All my stuff. Some of it was still in boxes. But some of it was strewn all over the floor. None of the stuff that I really wanted or needed was any longer in California. None of it was up in New England. Before I had moved here, I was split across two or three different apartments, sort of this nomadic, Abrahamic life that I was living, staying in different places. Everything was there. Did you ever realize that something so physical, something so mundane like cardboard boxes can give you a sense of home? This is the way God meant it to be physical cues when a place starts to feel familiar 
Or you start to notice that same crack in the sidewalk that you're always tripping over. Or maybe where you start to long to go to some place where everybody knows your name. Or maybe you start to have personal memories attached to certain noises, like the squealing of the brakes of the buses that pass through 14th Street here. Or different sights, visual cues, where you start remembering, hey, that's, that's where we hung out that one summer, outside, next to the fountains. Or maybe even hardships that you went through. And you look around the corner and you say, that's actually where I got mugged. Not a pleasant sight. But even that, in a sense, there's an alienation that happens, but also a sense of, this is where all of life for me, even the terrible parts of it, are lived. This is home. Bumping into people, bumping into friends, and you start to feel like, hey, maybe, just maybe, I'm not a stranger any longer. Have you considered this, friends, the importance of place in our experience of people and community? It's actually one of the reasons why we're so rigorously neighborhood-centered in the way that we try to do community life here Because for all the benefits that that gives us in reaching neighbor and loving those around us and caring and expressing our mission, it's also for the identity and intimacy of our community within as well. Believing that if we have a strong sense of place, that this is where we are, it really does solidify our sense of who we are. And in that regard, it is important for us to at least be aware and reflective about, well, you know, the ways in which these days it's so easy to define community totally apart from place. Social media helps us to do this. The ways in which this globalized world makes it easy for us to have friends all over the place. One of the important questions, friends, is who knows you in this place? Who knows you in this place while you're here? And while it's so normal and accepted in modern life to move from place to place and not even to think about it, could we at least just as a church always be in the habit of stopping and pondering the value of place in the way that it relates to our community life and our health one to another? Then maybe we pause before we think about moving on to the next thing. Or moving on to the next place. Look, we support that. And we send people out right from here, praying people into different callings in different places all the time. I'm not saying people have to stay here forever. But you have to be somewhere. Always. The value of place in community. And lastly, God promises mission. Favor, significance, community, place, and fifthly, mission. Verse 2, and you will be a blessing. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 3, Abram and his descendants are being blessed, being showered with the the favor of God and the presence of God and the promises of God. Why? To shut their doors and just have a happy party themselves? Or himself? No. 
to extend the grace of God and the favor of God and the kindness of God and the mercy of God and the truth of God and the gospel of God everywhere he goes to be a blessing. And to do this in a way where the grace of God would extend to the whole world. All peoples on earth, God says, drawing together peoples and cultures, even those that are hostile to each other, reconciling them one to another, which is the story of the good news of God's reconciling power in our relationships. Friends, if you are in relationship with God, or if you're exploring a relationship with God, do you understand that one of the greatest privileges is that God doesn't just bring you in to stick you in a corner, but He gives you the honor of being one of the chief agents of transforming lives and transforming the world around us. That you are blessed to be a blessing to others. That this is how generously God's kindness overflows from us, into us, from us, into the lives of other people. For Abraham, it was from him and his descendants, Israel, being called to this mission. Jesus then uniquely fulfills this mission, and all those now who follow Jesus are called to share in his mission. I just want to ask, if you could just for a second think about all your major or maybe minor daily decisions, where you work, who you date or marry, where you want to live, what friends you want to invest in, who you're going to hang out with this weekend, how you spend your time, how you spend your money. So you think about all these different decisions. Do you ask yourself, how can I most be a blessing in these different situations? What, what decisions can I make or what ways can I orient my life that would enable me to be most a channel of the grace of God into the lives of other people. Do you see how becoming a follower of Jesus and trusting God in this sort of way changes the way in which we make decisions, the priorities of our lives, the way it orients us from inward to outward, thinking about other people and pouring ourselves out into others. It's not just about me, because for God, it was about me. His kindness overflows into my life, into the lives of other people. That's the blessing. That's what God promises. Now briefly, responding to the promise. How do we respond to the promise? How does Abram respond Take a look at verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Go to the land that I will show you. Which means that God hasn't yet told Abram his ultimate destination. And you know what God is doing here? God is calling Abram out, but he's inviting Abram to trust him. 
to take God at His word and to live daily life like he believes God's promise. Trust. And I'm using that word intentionally, guys, because so often the word faith can just seem so detached or so abstract. And the word believe can seem so cognitive, so heady. God is inviting us to trust him in the manner that Abram trusted God. How did Abram trust God? Where do we see this sort of response? He leaves, he arrives, and he worships quickly. First, he leaves. God says to Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's household. Leave your past sources of identity. Leave your past sources of security. The things that are familiar to you. And here are some amazing words, the three most amazing words in this passage in verse 4. So Abram left. He left all his normal surroundings left the city of Haran, went out with Sarai, his wife, and Lot, and his whole clan together with him, departing from his original family, everything that gave him a sense of, this is who I am, my identity, and this is why I'm safe, my security, and this is where I belong, his place, his country. He leaves, and you can just imagine the sense of loss. Friends, make this a real story because it is. The sense of loss of what it means for him to uproot himself at the age of 75 to go with no road map and no real sense of destination except that he knows there's a God in front of him that's inviting himself to him. Saying goodbye to old friends. Saying goodbye to that place where everybody knows your name. That sense of grieving even, perhaps, and how disorienting even just a minor move, let alone a life-changing move, can be. Some of you have recently moved here. You know how disorienting that can be. And yet even still, here Abram leaves. Leaves everything. Everything. Friends, to follow God, to truly trust God, one of the ways that we do that, one of the ways that we know that we are doing that is that in your soul, you do have to leave everything. A true sense of surrender. That I am giving myself, all of me, to this God who has given everything to me. This long list of blessing upon blessing. This litany of I wills and I will and I will and I will. These promises. He's given everything to me. How can I withhold anything from Him myself? That I belong so wholly to you that I'm willing to follow and trust you without knowing exactly where we're going here, without knowing exactly why you're doing what you're doing, to do it without knowing exactly what you're up to and relinquishing control. Taking my hands off of the steering wheel and saying, God, I will let you be God and I will let me be me. Friends, are there ways in which you are saying to God, God, sorry, you can have everything but this. 
the ways in which you are withholding your full surrendered trust to God. Sorry, God, you can have everything but my job or my career, or everything but what I invested all this time and money into for my graduate studies. You can have everything but my health. Just don't take that away. You can have everything but my financial security. You can have everything but my child's safety. You can have everything but this. What is that thing? And do you know, friends, that that thing is your functional God in your life? That is the thing that you have surrendered your life to. That is the thing that you have put your trust in. Whatever your formal profession of faith is, Christian or otherwise, the thing that you will not let anyone take from you is your religion, is your God, is your trust. Here is Abraham saying, there's nothing I withhold from you. I have left it all, in his case physically, in all of our cases, in our soul. That's what it means to trust God. That's what it costs to truly trust God. He leaves, but he also arrives He arrives. Verse 5, they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. And I point this out to say this is sort of confusing, isn't it? I thought he was going to a destination unknown. I thought this was a long story and yet he's already there. Is it the end? Well, no. He is standing in the land that God promises to give him and yet the journey is still going on. God has not fully given the land that He has promised. And yet He one day will. In the meanwhile, He takes Him on a journey. Why? Because God wanted to give Him a Lord, not just a location. God wanted to lead Him to a person and not just a geographical place. God was inviting Abram onto a journey, not just a destination, a journey of trust, of relationship. Do you see in Abram arriving, what we find is that trust is about a relationship, a long journey of ups and downs, an opportunity to grow in faith, to stumble in faith. We're going to look at that next week. Abram just bombs next week. Oh, it's long. It was not next week. A long time ago. We're going to look at it next week. Just bombs in his faith. This climax of soaring trust today, tomorrow, not looking so great. Looks like me and you. Friends, are you missing this journey of trust and growth in relationship that God is inviting you to, this opportunity to grow in faith? Maybe because you're just looking for the destination and not looking for God. What is it that you're in the middle of and you're just waiting, you're just wanting to arrive already? When God is saying to you, but I'm right here. This is your destination. I am your destination. That you might see more of yourself, your frailty, your brokenness, your need for me, your dependency upon me, your calling, your mission, your privileges, but also to see me, 
my character, my nature, my blessing, my promises. Do you see God in the journey? Abram leaves, Abram arrives, Abram lastly worships. He worships. Abram, we see in the final part of this passage, traveling through the land, and he does this odd thing. He kind of goes from place to place and he builds, we're told, these little altars. Verse 6 and 7, Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. He built an altar there to the Lord. In verse 8, he's in the hills between Bethel and Ai. He built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. This is the way of Abram saying to God, this land, it belongs to you and you are giving it to me. You see, this little stone construction that he made is a little physical symbol that he believes God. This unbelievable promise that this Canaanite-filled land one day will be given to Abram. That his barren wife and his own lifeless body will, not, will one day be able to produce an offspring, an offspring after that offspring, and one day making him into a great nation. That one day His fame and His name and His grace will extend to the ends of the earth, drawing all peoples and all families to this God of glory and grace. Abram saying, I believe you're going to do this. But notice, even as He surrenders with trust, leaving everything, and He arrives knowing that it's a painstaking journey, He does it with worship and joy and celebration, you see, friends. Because you can do those first two things and do it begrudgingly. Here, God, take my phone. (laughs) Here, God, take my, this last piece of my life that, fine, have it. Here, God, fine, you can intrude in on the rest of my life, and I guess I'll drag my feet and follow what you have to say, and maybe trust that it's for my good, and maybe believe, no, actually, I don't believe that you're good to me, and this is out of love for me. No. Abram is modeling for us in his worship with these altars the joy of true, authentic trust in following the call of God to himself. Not a begrudging following. Not a questioning one. Not a bitter one. But a joyful one. And all the more joyful for us here on this side of the cross because we can see that every part of this promise has been truly fulfilled and given to us in even greater measure through the person of Jesus who the Old Testament describes as nothing less than the fulfillment of this promise that Abraham would one day have an offspring, a seed. That he's going to have a son, a miracle son. No, not just Isaac who will come onto the scene in a couple chapters here in Genesis, but his very own ultimate offspring, his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus Christ. This one who left his place, his home, 
departing from his natural surroundings and place of familiarity and security, his place in heaven, his father's home, he too left. This one who had significance of all significance, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, all glory and authority, unmatched, and yet made himself nothing in becoming a human being that was despised and neglected and rejected. He became a nobody so that we might become somebodies. And though he was in the divine family, perfect community, the eternal, infinite perfection of love shared between the Father and the Son and the Spirit was one day on the cross cut off from that divine community forsaken by the Father so that we could get His Father and be brought into His family. This one who had the perfect favor of God and deserved all the infinite blessing of God had actually earned it, rightly earned the blessing of God and instead said to His Father, take me instead, curse me, and bless them and bless them through me because all the blessings that we have shared you have done blessing me that I might be a blessing and to the ends of the earth gathering together all people of every tribe and tongue and nation and not just a small plot of land but every part of this physical earth which He will reclaim and give back to us as our full inheritance, this land to be enjoyed. This is the good news of our salvation, friends. This is what God offers us in Jesus. Not just a small little, here's something to make you feel better about yourself. Not just a small little, here's just something that makes you feel like you're okay with God. Or maybe that gives you a little taste of community. This is salvation. The deepest longings of our hearts given to us by the promise of God, fulfilled in the person of Jesus And all He asks of you now is that you would trust Him for it and receive it and let Him change your life. Will you? Let's pray. God, thank You that You're a promising God. Thank You that You love us, sometimes even in spite of ourselves. Thank You that You are inexplicable in your kindness to weak, broken people like us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the countless ways in which you bless our lives in unseen ways. And thank you for helping us to believe and to trust in you. Give us more grace, more grace, more grace to trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.